This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of creator success at Workweek. Let's go. We're kind of in an interesting inflection point now, right? This trend was happening pre-pandemic in terms of working from home and global teams, but the pandemic just accelerated this move towards work from home. And I don't think necessarily work from home, just like options. People want more options and starting to realize that going into the office every day is not the best use of our time. And it's becoming, I think, increasingly important for younger generations, right, that to have more control of their time. And there's a lot of values mixed up with that. I mean, in terms of commuting, right, the impact that it has on the environment. So for the longevity of companies, it's like super important to understand why people want to work from home and like how to make your company more attractive from that perspective. And we are back at the Leaders Lens podcast. I'm here with my friend Mario Carrasco, co-founder at Think Now Global. Think Now is an award-winning research technology company enabling brands to discover the cultural drivers that influence consumer decisions. Just an incredible job growing this company over the last 12 years. And Mario, I'm really grateful for your time to have you have you here today. Yeah, glad to be on. Thanks for having me on, Jacob. Something that you do an incredible job of that I learned talking to you last week is recruiting and developing talent all over the world. And as the workforce continues to change and evolve, I really feel like this is a skill that leaders that, of organizations at all levels need to become very well-versed in. Why do you think it's important for leaders to develop this skill and understand the impact? We're kind of in an interesting inflection point now, right? This trend was happening pre-pandemic in terms of working from home and global teams, but the pandemic just accelerated this move towards work from home. And I don't think necessarily work from home, just like options. People want more options and starting to realize that going into the office every day is not the best use of our time. And it's becoming, I think, increasingly important for younger generations, right, that to have more control of their time. And there's a lot of values mixed up with that. I mean, in terms of commuting, right, the impact that it has on the environment. So for the longevity of companies, it's like super important to understand why people want to work from home and like how to make your company more attractive from that perspective. We did have an advantage, I think now, like when we started in 2011, you know, the big talk back then was like the cloud, right? Cloud computing, something that we just like take for granted. But back then, like it was relatively new, especially for a company in our, you know, of our size, but we were big on being in the cloud. And what that meant was like being able to buy a laptop, have no programs on it and just access everything via the web. And part of that was having a remote workforce as well. So we embraced that early on. And I think that gave us a competitive advantage during the pandemic as well. Like it wasn't a transition for us. It was kind of more of the same. What have you learned? Because I think for a lot of companies, they kind of originally thought that 2020 was going to be a road bump, people would be at home, but then everybody would come back to the office and it would be back to business as usual. But we've seen that was not the case at all. People realized, I like this extra freedom that I can get when I don't have to worry about a two-hour-a-day transport to work or commute to work. Backing up a little bit, like there's a whole work-from-home situation, but I think we think about this whole hol- holistically in the pandemic and what happened. Like We were just questioning everything about our lives, right? Not, not whether I'm working from home, but like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this job? Like, <laughs> what's the impact yes. we have, right? The pandemic was a wake-up call for everybody in terms of, am I doing what I want in my life? Is Are there some other things that I want to pursue? And work from home is an important component in that. 
many people are in jobs that they don't want to do necessarily. And so anything, and I'm not saying you should keep those people. They, and, you know, hopefully they're empowered enough to leave or choose other jobs, but many people are not. If you can help ease some of that kind of existential crisis that people are having by letting them work from home, that's a win. That being said, like for me, it was the opposite. Like I missed going into the office. For me, like hybrid is ideal where there's days that I have to take my kids somewhere or I don't know, I want to have lunch with my wife in the middle of the day. Like I want to work from home, but I want to have that option. And so I think the future of work is really kind of empowering employees and letting them choose what they want to do. Because many of us, again, like during the pandemic kind of question, do we want to be here at all in terms of from a work perspective and anything you can do to make it easier for somebody to stay at your organization is going to be better for you in the long run and better for the employee. The question I get often is the new trend of people getting starting side hustles. A founder will ask me like this person, like they have their own side business. I should be worried about that. And the reality is if you can be the boss that supports and nurtures that person and encourages them to encourage, to pursue their passions, like that's a competitive advantage for you because you are building loyalty with that person because they are working for someone that supports them as a person, not just as a number on a spreadsheet. I think that's what you're touching on as well. 100%. And like, I'm saying all this stuff like it comes easy and it doesn't. I mean, I had that same exact thing come up with one of our employees. One of our top employees who's an executive, he had a side hustle, a couple of them. And at first, like when I found out about it, I was like, oh, kind of conflicted about what to do with it sat on it, slept on it, and was like, you know what, let me encourage that. And what I found is that the pandemic's one example, but like we always have things like we want to do differently, right? Even me as a founder, been doing the same thing for 12 years. Like sometimes I get interested in something else, but I come back and I found that I supported this employee through both of his side hustles. And like, they just kind of ran their course and he got like reinterested in our company. And so I don't know. It's kind of like a pay it forward thing, right? The more you invest in people, the more like they're likely to stay with you and come back and do the job that they were hired for, even at a higher caliber, because side hustles help you, right? Side hustles help you get creative in other aspects of your life. I love the thought of the investment into the employee. It's just like at a bank. You can't go to the bank the first day and make a withdrawal. Like You have to make those deposits first. So we can take that same approach with the people on our team, our peers, but just the more deposits we make, it's going to be easier to make that withdrawal when we have to make a difficult ask. As you've been growing your team, you started out as a hybrid, had private workplace, people working all over the world. What have you noticed are some of the biggest challenges that you face as a leader with a global workforce? Number one, like just to give some context, like we were based headquartered in Los Angeles. We kind of have the core executive team here in LA. We have then people all over the country and business development roles, project management roles, so ranging from Texas to New York, right? But then the global team we have in Latin America, we have a core team in Tijuana, which is great for us being in Los Angeles, like even though they're remote, it's a four-hour drive, so we can we, get, we have a little more face time with them. We have some business development people in Mexico City, which is a little bit further, and then some project management in India, and we actually have one employee in Nepal. I think the most difficult thing is that FaceTime. Even though we are a global team and we're remote first, FaceTime is extremely important. Like before the pandemic, I was going to India every single year, once a year, and just getting everyone together. We'd have some meetings and do some work, but it was really just like hanging out. And what I found doing that FaceTime is like 
And I think it's partly of it as a cultural thing, especially with our India team. Like people tell you things face to face that they won't tell you in a meeting, in a phone call, or an email. Things that are critical to the business, right? Maybe someone, you know, on the team isn't pulling their weight or not responsive. And these are things that I found that are some of our global employees just won't email me and tell me about for whatever reason. And I'm attributing it to cultural, but they're just maybe not comfortable with telling me over the phone or email. And so I found like FaceTime, I just discover things that wouldn't happen kind of organically, digitally. I think that's a big challenge. So I was going every year before the pandemic. Since 2020, I haven't come back. I'm hoping, knock on wood, to go in December and get some of that FaceTime. But I think that's the biggest challenge, right? Like I'm 100% about remote and hiring globally, but you do need to make an effort to see your employees as if you're a manager, if you're a founder. And I think it's there's that side of the employee telling you what's going on. But also I think many times, I just saw this whole discourse on Twitter too about an individual that went to the Philippines to see his virtual assistants. I don't know if you saw that thread, but it went viral. People were getting upset like, calling them virtual assistants. And I think there's some truth behind that that critique. Like in order for you to think of your employees as people, like you need to see them in person. Otherwise it's very easy to just think of them as virtual assistants or whatever, right? Like these are people with families. And I think it's important to have that FaceTime to like humanize them and understand them on a human level. Do you remember the conversations around before your first trip? Because I'm, I'm guessing it this originally wasn't part of the roadmap. No, I don't remember the conversations, to be honest. It was so long ago. Was it pretty quick, though? Like, did it happen? Was it something that like happened you know, within the first year of making these hires, or did it uh, take a while? No, I think it took maybe like three years. Okay. I think I maybe had like said something offhandedly to our employees overseas, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to visit. And I, I think one thing I remember is how excited they were. Hmm. And like once I put it out there and I saw how excited they were that we were coming out, I was like, oh, like, I'm committed now. I have to go, you know? And I think that's part of one of the reasons that I continue to go is like just that excitement, you know, like they feel good that, especially as a founder, that making time and to see them and to the original point, like it's an investment, right? And I think that's one of the most important investments you can make is just like showing people you care. And that's a big deal. Have you noticed that they're more open with you since you started visiting? Like once you connect to somebody in person, because you had mentioned that there are things I'll tell you face to face that they won't share via an email, but I'm curious, did that help it? Did that help open dialogue even in between visits? And the inverse happens too, right? I've noticed now there's less, like the further away you are from the FaceTime, the less they'll reach out to you. I think there's like a flurry of excitement before and after, but you lose some of that momentum three, six months, eight months after the trip. And maybe you're, you know, I probably should be going more often than once a year, but yeah, you definitely see that difference of communication afterwards. There's excitement. And ultimately, right, like we're social creatures. And I get it. This is a, a business environment. But at the end of the day, like people work with people, people work for people. And I think as a manager, like you have to make that face time to make that connection. I think once a year is a sustainable and effective cadence as well. I remember when I was at T-Mobile, John Ledger uh, was a CEO that just completely turned the company around. And he always made it a point to visit every call center once a year because he knew like that was like the hardest job in the organization. Is, oh, that's awesome. Is doing the customer service. And it, he just did a great job of getting the buy-in from the employees for all the reasons that you're explaining right now. 
I didn't know that at that level that he's he's visiting the call centers. That's awesome. It was phenomenal for sure. It was like a rock star moment. Like people were taking pictures of him and like, yeah. everybody was bought into the culture. And that was a crucial element of it for sure. Yeah. Getting back to, to leading the uh, the remote teams, because you've been doing this for you know over a decade. Most businesses fail. You know, like 90% of businesses fail within their first five years, but you've been able to just be resilient and establish an incredible culture of performance. What have you learned about being effective in leading remote teams over the last decade? I think the first thing I go to that we talked a little bit about last time is like transparency in our mission and our values, right? Like we are a company that truly believes in the importance of diversity in market research from a business imperative standpoint. And it's interesting because in some senses, that's a uniquely American thing. Not all countries are as diverse as we are, being a nation built by immigrants, right? And so it's interesting that that mission and those values resonate to countries like India, well, that are incredibly diverse in a different way than the US, but they still understand and believe in that mission and how we empower that. So I think that's number one. Like, And we really made a big change in our company. Like, We used to be still the same mission from a market research perspective, knowing the importance of including multicultural voices in market research as a business imperative. But in 2016, when the political landscape changed a lot in this country, we wanted to then be unabashedly like honest about our perspective and our views. And that was a really big cultural shift for us. We started to attract more talent. One statistic that I'm really proud of, I think our average tenure in our company is like four and a half years, which is pretty incredible for a company of our size. Um, and I think, again, a lot of that is that we're honest about our beliefs and that in turn, we attract people that believe in our mission. And again, maybe someone that doesn't, but appreciates that they know what they're getting into. Yes. Like just the power of making your mission, your vision clear. Yeah. I'm sure it's helping you get clients as well, but I love that you talk about it. Also is helping you attract teammates that are passionate about this and are in it for reasons beyond just the paycheck that they're getting. hundred percent. So as you're thinking through like key lessons, you talk about the mission, the importance of that, the transparency. How has your approach to leadership changed as your company has grown over the last 10 years? I think in the beginning, and I think many founders and maybe even managers, this resonates with, right? You want to control everything. I remember early on, first stage as a founder, you're doing everything, right? Like you're doing sales, you're executing the work, you're writing the processes, you're collecting the bills, right? And so once you see how a company works and it's working a certain way, as you start to hire people, you try to fit them into those molds. And that's what I was doing early on as a manager was just trying to replicate myself. And I'm not to say that I'm like done learning, but I think one thing I've learned is that giving people loose frameworks works so much better than trying to fit them into a rigid system and being okay with being uncomfortable in the sense of people are going to put their own stamp on everything, right? And you got to remember like you hired someone for a reason. There was lots of candidates you could have chosen from and if you don't let them put their stamp on the position, like why hire them? I've just become less and less rigid with how, my expectations and how things should be done. I love it, that empowerment piece because people want to be problem solvers. Like there's a lot of tools we can use to automate certain processes that don't require any thought. But in the end, we're hiring somebody to be part of our team. Like they want to feel like their ideas are coming to life. They want to see their ideas coming to life in the organization. So if we can take the approach as leaders to support them in this, as opposed to controlling their decisions. We're just going to have 
just better tools available in our organization, which is just so powerful. Totally. And I think one thing that reminds me of too is like, people are going to come with to you with ideas that you know are bad, for lack of better words, right? Like, I hate to say that, but I think that's another investment, right? If someone comes to you as a manager and you're like, with an idea and that you know is just like, oh, I don't know about that. I think one thing I've learned is like, let people just try it, right? Of course, it has to be low risk and <laughs> not be a ton of money. But if it's like a low risk experiment, there's a lot of learnings there. And I think you got to let people learn, let people fail. I think that's a huge part of management as well. Yes. I think the hard part of that dynamic is that we forget that we've learned because we've gone through the experience. We've had the opportunity to fail and learn because of it. And so sometimes we unintentionally stifle other people's growth because we don't give them the opportunity to go through those learning loops. So I love that approach. And there's more risk in defaulting to no than there is defaulting to yes. There are always going to be exceptions. I like think that are too expensive, too risky, that you have to say no and kind of have the conversation around why. But there's so much value in just let me default to yes. Let me like see if there's a way we can let this person run this experiment. Who knows? Maybe it works, right? But the worst right. case scenario is they get a great experience and they get a ton of development going through that process. I like the framing default to yes. And to be clear, there are times where like it has worked where I was wrong, right? And I wouldn't say it's like a small number of times. I mean, I'm probably like 50-50. So there's a lesson in on itself, right? Like I'm probably why I've been more and more open to defaulting to yes. I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast right now that like, I wish I worked for somebody like Mario who would give me a chance to experiment because they probably work for an organization that that's not the case at all. But you have the chance, like if you're hearing this, like be the one that breaks that cycle in your organization and start thinking through how can you do a better job of empowering your people to follow their passions and experiment and see what can work. For sure. I'm like, ask for forgiveness instead of permission, you know? There you go. I love it. <laughs> you got to encourage the proactive problem solvers, right? You don't want a team of people that bring you all the problems. You want people that go out and and try to figure it out on their own and then come to you for support when they run into roadblocks. For sure. So we've talked about a lot of this already, but if we had to think of just like a few bullet points for leaders that are maybe new to leading remote teams are interested in exploring their careers and leading remote teams, or maybe just see a gap and understand they need to get better at this. What are a few bullet points? And it's okay if we recap some of the things that we've already talked about. Setting a regular cadence to your meetings are key. I'm not a big proponent in meetings in general. Like I know like they can be a waste of time, but with remote teams, it's pretty critical to just check in. You don't necessarily need an agenda and it doesn't need to be weekly depending on the position, but meeting is important because a lot of the times you can feel isolated on remote teams. And if you're not meeting, if it's all just email communications, it can be difficult to build that community that you're looking for in a job. And then meeting in person, right, is really critical, depending where they're at, right? Like if you're in the US and maybe you're on the West Coast and East Coast, you can meet more frequently. But if it's global, quarterly, yearly, but just setting a cadence, I think is key. Some other things, again, that like that's big for us is mission, value, like making sure that you're, you're stating your mission and values and not just words that you wrote in a Word document, showing your employees or your direct reports through actions that you do, whether that's you know, speaking on a podcast or writing a blog post, just ways that you're demonstrating that that mission and values and living it out. And then third, I would say, make sure to remember, like, I think with global teams, like, it's easy to forget that there's people behind the email, the phone calls, like, 
taking the time to get to know what your remote employees are into, their families. That being said, like I think you can go the opposite way and just like asking personal questions without building rapport. Like you got to build rapport slowly and organically. It can't just be like, hey, Jacob, how many kids do you have? What do you like to do? Through those regular meeting cadence, just like start to get to know your people, what they like, what drives them, what are their dreams. It will happen organically over time. I think that's really critical. I would say that's probably the most important of the three. Just taking that time to invest, trusting the process and keeping it consistent, right? Not showing up the first day, wanting to get to know somebody, then not talking to them again for six months. It's going to send mixed signals there. For sure. And getting to know like what motivates people, right? Some people, to your point, are problem solvers. Some people are motivated by money and incentives. Some people are motivated by learning. Some people like processes. Understanding that and giving projects that feed into their strengths and their interests is important. I think sometimes we try to figure out on our own and we guess, and sometimes we assume that everybody likes to be recognized the way that we like to be recognized. But in reality, if you just take the time to ask and listen, people will give you the cheat code and help you see how to work with them. It works more times than it doesn't. People will appreciate the fact that somebody cares enough to ask. 100%. Yeah, that's critical. Well, Mario, you've shared a ton of wisdom that I know are going to help a lot of leaders get better in leading remote teams. Your company's doing incredible work, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to connect with you again, man. This is a big deal. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jacob. It was great talking to you. And if people want to connect, Mario, where should we be sending them? For our company, Think Now, all of our handles across all social, including LinkedIn, is at Think Now Global. So T H I N K N O W G L O B A L. And then my personal is Mario X as an X ray Carrasco, C A R R A S E O. If you have any questions, happy to chat with you, Mario at thinknow.com. We'll make sure we include all the links and the email address in the show notes so you can check it out. We appreciate you all for tuning in to the Leaders Lens Podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leaders Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leaders Lens, please tell a friend.